All right, everybody, welcome back to First Time Outdoors. On this week's episode, we are going to take some time to get ready for the trout season. Um, the snow is basically melted, and we're we're getting primed and ready to do, do some fishing uh, to ramp that up more intensely. And the last thing that I like to do before the season starts is to take inventory of my fly boxes and uh, spend some time replenishing what I lost last year, making things look prettier. Uh, so this on this episode, we're going to talk about fly tying and sort of what that entails and how to get interested, how to get started in that process. So stick with us and hope you enjoy the show. So I think we mentioned when we were with the brown trout and bridge beer guys that like fly fishing is a rabbit hole, just like a lot of other hobbies. And, you know, this episode, I want to just preface by like, you d certainly do not have to get into fly tying to fly fish and, and enjoy fly fishing. But tying your own flies really does add an element of like, um, it just adds an element of joy to the whole process and like involvement and uh, connection and like yeah. a, a personal thing that um, really does sort of round out and fulfill the whole process. Um, so I wanted to talk about that a little bit today and there are some um, technical things that kind of could, could throw people off right away um, and just kinda, I want to kind of lay out what it looks like how some of the basic tools you're going to need to get started and uh, you know what the process kind of looks like at a high level. We're not going to really get into how to tie flies very specifically, but um, yeah. just want to talk about like what the, what the overall process is. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a baseline of understanding that I feel like anybody needs to have in order to get set up. You got to kind of speak the language. Yep. Like if I was to go into a fly shop because I'm an inexperienced fly fisherman and very inexperienced fly tire, I really wouldn't even know what to ask for. I could describe it, but I, it, things work out a lot faster if you can actually call something by their names. Yep. I, I think my analogy to that is when I was teaching chemistry, if some student came up to me and we were doing a lab and was like, where's the like roundish glass glassware yep. you know and i i would intentionally even though i kind of knew what they're talking about like uh, i don't know what you mean like what is the actual name of it because then i can i can help you otherwise i could give you 16 different things that fit that description yeah. and then you're still more confused than you started with so i think it's really important to be able to to call things what they are um in order to receive the most efficient help yeah, from speak people. the language yeah, yeah that's that's kind of, that, that theme applies to a lot of the things we talk about here whether it's you know um, shotgun you know gauges and shot shells and like fishing gear like yeah 
everything. Broad there's head there's types, always a language like, that you yeah. have to kind of learn to be able to even enter the arena. Um, and that's what we want to kind of break down that stuff to, so that people can have some confidence to talk about these things to people that are more involved in the sport. Um, there were some instances in that uh, podcast with the Brown Trout and Bridge Beers guys that um, if you listen to it, you, you might have heard a few times where I was like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Because it's so easy when you're around people that do the same things you do to just keep speaking fluently. Yep. While there's somebody else that's still trying to learn, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. So that's those are kind of the things that we're like. Okay, so if we had a pocket dictionary, a fly to English dictionary, that this is kind of where you'd want to go to is this podcast for that sort of thing. Yep. Um. So that's perfect. Yeah. So I want to kind of just say from from at the outset some of my biggest influencers or where I learned the most on how to fly tie is uh, like through Tom Rosenbauer with Orvis. Mm-hmm. He's a kind of a legend in the industry and he's done a lot, put out a lot of great resources for how to fly, you know, get into tying flies. Uh, he's got a book called the Orvis fly tie, uh, the Orvis fly tying guide that I have. And uh, that's chock full of good information. A lot of kind of what I talk about today um, is, is sort of, dovetails off of what Tom uh, mentions in that book. Uh, he has a podcast himself called the Orvis Fly Fishing Guide Podcast. Um, they do episodes on that show at, and go into more detail, like the nitty gritty. They kind of nerd out mm-hmm. on all things trout fishing, but there's certain episodes on fly tying specifically. Uh, and probably the best resource that I have is on YouTube. Uh, there's a YouTube channel called tight line video and that guy produces just super high quality close up tying videos. Um, so at the, at the outset, if you, uh, want to pull up that channel and kind of poke around, if you, if you're listening to this and, and have any questions, like I would say go there and it, <laughs> Just the way he simply shows you what to do, um, a lot of your questions will be answered um, from there. So anyway, with that, I think we should just get into sort of a high level, um, what you're trying to do when you're tying flies and some of the equipment that you uh, need to get started. So when we talk about tying flies or making lures, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about. Um, yeah, I might interject some of my experiences with tying musky lures and stuff. Yeah, yeah, this is certainly not exclusive to the fly tying, or the trout fishing, or uh, fly tying community. But you're basically just trying to make your own lures, uh, and you can use a variety of things. Um, most common are natural materials, natural meaning bird feathers, um, deer hair, um, other furs, and whatnot. Yeah, our friend Ben has uh, tied flies out of his cat's whiskers in the past. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I've got one with my dog's my dog hair. Um, haven't fished it yet, though. But, uh, yeah, so those are all, like, the natural. And I'll go into more detail about that later. But, like, there's naturals and then there's synthetic things. So synthetics are going to be, like, tinsel, flashy, man-made mm-hmm. um, things. So, um Tom Rosenbauer, there's a divide in the the fly fishing community. Some people are purists and they only want to use, you know, certain materials, natural materials. And, um, there's a fly called the mop fly, which is literally like 
you know those fibrous mops that you use to like like a swiffer mm-hmm. they've got they look like these little cylinders um it's hard to describe on a podcast i guess but the anyway if like clipping a little piece off of a mop mm-hmm. that's all you do is you tie that to a hook and that, <laughs> it's like one of the most deadly flies but like a lot of people hate that idea because it's supposed to represent you know something more beautiful or elegant mm-hmm. and it's like literally just a piece of yarn off of a mop catches fish <laughs> um so tom rosenbauer always says like anything is a fly and like whatever you want to throw on there whatever you think is going to catch fish like don't get caught up in the you know what's pr- what's proper and what's there's no rules to it and i i, I like that mm-hmm. um that mindset so um regarding the materials like you know in the synthetic world, like whatever you can find that you think might catch some fish, if that's a piece of, you know, present wrapping or something that's like shiny and interesting or anything you find around the house, like mm-hmm. if you can turn it into something that, you know, give it a shot. Um, so yeah, well, let's talk about the necessary equipment to start tying flies. Uh, first and foremost, you're going to need a vise. Um, these are sold in a variety of different um, styles. The first would be like a clamp vise. So that's going to be a small little C clamp that has um, a, a vise mechanism on it that you can attach to any table. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice and portable. Those are the, some of the cheaper ones. And like like my first introduction to fly tying, I got a fly tying kit from Cabela's, I think, for like 50 bucks, And it came with all this equipment I'm just, I'm about to say, mm-hmm. uh, cheap versions of it and some materials and a little book. So that's, that's like a good way to get started. Yeah. But the, the C clamp, um, vices, those are often the, the cheapest and like the best intro, um, version. Then you've got pedestal vices. Those, uh, sit on top of your desk and are a little, usually a little bit more hefty and beefy. Uh, and they have, you know, um, because of that they're a little higher quality typically and they have better jaws like smaller finer jaws for small trout flies and then the last version is a rotary vise um, and those vices spin so instead of uh, winding your thread around the fly Mm -hmm. like we'll talk about later you actually can rotate the vise and kind of hold your your thread in Mm -hmm. line so it's just a different kind of method yeah basically so um, after the vise, the next thing you're going to want is a bobbin. That's going to hold your thread. And you use thread to wind the material around a hook. That's mm-hmm. basically the process that we're, we're looking to do. Um, so bobbins are really cheap. Um, you can change the tension on them. And um, yeah, if, if your mom sews or anybody in your household sews, like they've got a bobbin somewhere. Yeah. Um, that and then some scissors. That's really like the the three main uh, things. They sell these special little, they're miniature scissors uh, with really sharp and small points to get in because it's kind of small work that you're doing Mm -hmm. with trout flies specifically. Um, But after that, then there's numerous other little tools that will help you get the job done. Uh, There's a thing called a whip finisher. It's a little piece of essentially like wire uh, like it almost looks like a tiny little coat hanger that's been bent in all these weird little ways. Mm-hmm. And that helps you uh, tie a specific knot at, when you're completed finishing tying the fly. So all um, that thread that you've wound around the feathers or whatever on the hook doesn't 
uncoil itself. Exactly. Yep. Yep. You tie it all, you wrap everything in kind of one specific motion. And at the end, you want to tie a knot uh, to keep it in that position. And that's what a whip finisher helps you do. Uh, there's also like a UV flashlights that people use. I think that's really gained popularity mm-hmm. over the recent years. Um, Loon is a Loon Outdoors is a, I think it's Loon Outdoors or maybe just Loon. They're a company that makes a lot of these uh, UV torches and that has taken a lot of people are using that to 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 do what we just talked about with the whip finish they put on a little bit of uv glue Mm -hmm. that only cures when you shine a specific uv light on it Mm -hmm. um and it cures instantly it cures it immediately exactly so you don't have to wait around for the glue to dry um and people instead of doing whip finishing they will even just put some uv glue on there and it's it's good to go Hmm. um it has a lot of applications um and they run you know run the spectrum in terms of cost as well um there is hackle pliers which is a kind of a a small little pliers that helps you hold really delicate feathers and wind them around without breaking the feathers what makes them different than a regular set of pliers um they essentially they're they're often spring tensioned so that once you you have to you know depress them to open the jaws and then once you let it go it it's locked in and then you can not be having any resistance in your hand to like be you can be very loose with it um a lot of these feathers are super delicate and like if you have any tension on your hands you're gonna snap the feather so Mm -hmm. putting it into this little um hackle pliers allows you to be light and gentle with your Mm. with your movements um there's a thing called a bodkin which sounds a lot like bobbin, and I always got those mixed up when I was uh, new into the the hobby. And a bodkin is basically just like a needle. Um, it allows you to orient hair in certain ways, and or mm. add some glue onto it really in a really fine way. There's a bunch of different okay. applications for it. And then lastly, uh, that a lot of people have is a hair stacker. So a lot of flies can be made out of things like deer hair or elk hair. Um, hair types that are really like rigid mm-hmm. and you want to line them up really straight together. And the best way to do that is to throw your hair in this little cylinder and you bang it on the table and everything lines up. Like it just settles, hmm. uh, in, in an even grouping. It's kind of a bizarre little thing, but, um, those are kind of all the tools you would really ever need to get started in uh, fly tying. So what would your esti- your estimation be of what your cost give can you give a range what that might yeah. be up listing all those things that you just did yeah what would your cost be I think at that this point like you could get into you could easily get into a starter kit for let's say forty to sixty dollars mm-hmm. that would get you most of those things um you know maybe short of like the UV light and some of the more specific things that you'd grow into mm-hmm. and that's what I would recommend. For anybody who wants to start this is like get a get an intro set and then start to uh, start to upgrade the material that or the tools that you are getting frustrated with and you want to do something better as needed i mean i still use my first scissors um i got a new vice because i didn't my first vice kept falling off the table and just like it wasn't very good I was getting very frustrated with that so i you know I, i upgraded um they those can get expensive they can you know, push into the hundred, two hundred dollar range. Um, so that's that can be one of the more expensive things. I I would say like 
from a range, let's say 40 to $60 at a basic level. And you could, there's probably no limit to the, <laughs> yeah. you know, these guys yeah. that uh, yeah. are professionals and could easily spend hundreds of dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, and especially when you get into materials, like people have libraries of material in their homes of, yeah. of stockpiling stuff and it gets expensive. Um, so certainly hundreds of dollars. And that's one thing I will say too about, you know, the expense of fly tying. A lot of people say that if you're looking to save money, fly tying like won't save you money on buying flies necessarily, which is kind of odd. You're yeah. like, well, you know, I'm going to, you know, my buddy Mike shot a pheasant and he gave me some feathers. I could probably make them cheaper than going to the store and buying them for three or four bucks a piece. Well, by the time you buy a bunch of equipment and all the other material to make yeah the investment actually, cost is high yeah it does kind of add up yeah so that kind of uh is the start of the tools um other really important things i think are good light um especially with fly tying uh trout fly tying mm -hmm. again we're talking about very small flies and really delicate material so having a really well lit space is a really it's kind of a necessity. Yeah. Um, some people use magnifying glasses that like they're large and they, they sit right between you and your, and your vice. Mm -hmm. Um, so it just magnifies everything. I've never done that, but I could, I could see how people would get into it. Yeah. Um, and then like good storage systems. Um, we'll get into material here in a second, but there's a lot of materials, a lot of different types. And if you don't have some way to like organize that, um, things are going to get really messy and you're probably going to always be looking for different things underneath little baggies of hair and beads and all sorts of things. Yeah. And it's not going to be very enjoyable. So, um, I use some clear bins. I have a, a wooden box that I like to put all, a lot of things in and then like uh, gallon, gallon Ziploc bags and different types of Ziploc bags to keep things separated. That helps and allows you to see things right away yeah um yeah so those are a few tips and kind of um just things to focus on as you as you get started with things um try to keep your workbench clean like stay ahead of <laughs> keeping things clean because mm -hmm. again um everything is so delicate that and and small and just whatever it Things get messy really quickly. Yeah, and I would imagine the last thing you want to have happen is like you drop your very small hook and you've got a pile of hair and feathers that you're trying to find the hook in. Yeah. You don't want a hook gone missing later on. Yeah. Finding it in ways you wish you wouldn't have. I've definitely lost a couple of small hooks in the carpet, like <laughs> underneath my bench <laughs> over the years. Yeah. Just, whoops. Well, I'm never going to find that again. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like, do you have any questions about sort of what we've talked about? Anything that sounds um, confusing or like something that a listener might not understand out of, out of those things? Well, it sounds to me that most of the upfront cost is like the, the tools. And a lot of the materials you can kind of forage for or like scavenge for. Yeah. I've seen some people that have used like pieces of like pot bottles mm -hmm. and foam like from uh, like egg carton foam yep. maybe that somebody had thrown out um, corks things like that 
Um, so if you were making flies, where do you find the material that, or where do you buy the material that you aren't finding, like in your yard or in your recycling bin? Yeah, so I mean, I, I go to um, my local fly shop, uh, Bob Mitchell's Fly Shop. They carry a lot of great things. There's a couple other good ones in the in the Twin Cities area. Um, the Fly Angler is up in Blaine. Mm-hmm. They carry a lot of things. Uh, Mend Provisions carries a bunch of things as well. So that you know, certainly start with your local business owners, but then also you know, big shops like Cabela's, um, Bass Pro Shops. Have, you know, every big retailer has a small fly section. Um, so that's where I. That's where I typically go find things. But I, I do really like, I mean, there are certain things that you're going to need to go buy. You're going to need to buy thread. Yeah. Um, I would typically recommend, you know, it's easy to go get a bunch of different colors. Yeah. Um, and that's something, you know, we can talk about. Does it have to be a, a like specific for fly tying or could you just go to like Joanne Fabrics and you, buy thread? You could, but again, um, trout flies are so small that the size diameter of the thread that you're going to get at a place like Joanne Fabrics is going to be a lot thicker. Mm-hmm. Um, you want more like brittle, a, maybe? Or yeah, and so fly tying thread is like often really flat and silky, and you can kind of flatten it out a bit. I guess would be a way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you want to use like the lightest thread that you can that's still going to hold as you wind it and and you know kind of pull down tightly on it so yeah it's possible to use different types of thread but i would just you know thread's cheap and you get a lot of it so um ordering something on amazon uh, online if you can't if you don't have a local fly shop um you know searching for some online would be a good way to go um and like i said it's cheap i would get like a black color maybe a white and then some sort of shade of brown Mm -hmm. three little spools that's going to get you a lot of different flies and the thread doesn't you know this is my opinion but you know that doesn't really matter so much yeah so um yeah i would uh one more thing on thread just briefly so they're they come in different sizes um and they're arranged from big to small so the different sizes here we've got it's so weird and this is gonna this is this trips people up uh a would be the biggest we're gonna go from big to small here so it goes a g three aught six aught eight aught and ten aught meaning again big to small so it's just like a g three aught six aught like who comes up with these things? Yeah. It's, it's just unnecessarily uh, confusing. But. I wonder why they do that. Yeah. Because that's the opposite of how hooks run. That's the opposite Cause, of hooks, yep. Because when you get into the aughts and hook sizes, they're huge. Yep. Yep. I was just going to say the, so yeah, with hooks, um, the smaller the number on a hook, that's the bigger the fly. Until you get to the aughts. Mm-hmm. And then the aughts. Like one aught, or let's say three aught is bigger than one aught. Mm-hmm. So, relative to trout fishing, I mean, hooks basically go up to size twenty-eight. That's that's the smallest 
hook out there, size 28. That's absolutely tiny. Like, I don't even know how, <laughs> like, it's like yeah. a millimeter long. It's yeah. just tiny. Um, the, the, a reasonable range for trout fishing is probably, let's say, a size 8 or 10 would be like a size of like a grasshopper maybe, mm-hmm. a small grasshopper. And a size 22 would be like a really small, a small midge or, you know, these are reason, that's a reasonable range of like good food for trout. Um, I would say if, if you want to get some hooks out the gate and you don't want to buy a whole lot, get size 14 and 16. So once again, I, let me just make sure I understand this correctly. Cause I only as a musky fisherman dwell in the land of the odds. Mm-hmm for hook sizes um so what you're saying is 28 is the smallest in hook size and as you get closer to zero they get bigger they get bigger it's the opposite and then, and then once you hit the aughts yes as that number gets larger the hook gets bigger yes again so it's almost like like a zero and then, like, the the numbers that are not ought are, like, negatives almost. Like yeah. The further you get away from zero, the smaller they get. And the further you get from zero on the oughts, the bigger they get. Yes. Yeah, it's that is super confusing. Yep. It's, believe me, it took me quite, it took me longer than I would have liked to, like, get that in my head. Um, but, yeah, just focus on dealing with a range here of, like, Let's even widen it slightly. Say that, uh, you know, 12 or 14 to size 20. Like, if you want to fish for trout, stick in that range. You're going to, that's a great range to stick mm-hmm. to. Um, so, yeah, that and then the thread. Those are just two weird measuring systems that I wanted to talk about here because um, I know that's going to trip people up. And I would say for thread, I would say 6 aught and uh, 8 aught would be like the best thread sizes for trout fishing. Again, if you want to tie bass flies or musky flies, you could certainly tie with a thicker thread because Mm -hmm. you're dealing with thicker material. You're going to need more force to to wind it down. And uh, frankly, it doesn't really matter as much because the hooks are so much larger. Like you're not going to see the thread. It's not as prominent. Whereas if you're trying to tie on a size 22 uh, little nymph hook, like using the wrong size thread is going to completely make the proportions of your fly, um, seem odd. You know, it needs to be kind of in line with what you're doing. So after hooks and thread, you're going to need some materials. Um, and as I said before, there's kind of two categories of material. There's probably more if you want to get into like foraging for other mm-hmm. you know bizarre type items that wouldn't have this qualification but you're mostly dealing with natural and synthetic materials and i'm just going to kind of list and describe some of the the main natural materials that i use um the most common and versatile in my opinion is like pheasant tail so when i say that i'm not talking about the whole pheasant's tail mm-hmm. just one feather from the grouping of the of the pheasant tail mm-hmm. uh, feathers, and one feather will can tie you probably, you know, twenty flies at least. Wow. Um, you just you're breaking off small little groupings of each of the pieces of the feather, um, 
and you're wrapping that and and you can tie flies just with the pheasant tail um, and thread so it's a super versatile material it's used in a lot of things some of the most classic and and well tried and true flies are, are made with pheasant tails um then you have things like a, a rabbit like rabbit fur mm-hmm. a rabbit mask which is actually you can you buy like it's kind of weird but you buy like the face of a ma- of a rabbit mm-hmm. it's dried um and that that hair is like really um it's it's one of my favorite materials it's really it looks really buggy when mm-hmm. you put it on the fly um it, i like working with it um that one and then peacock hurl so those are the really green beautiful feathers on a peacock that's mm-hmm. a really prominent and we'll, you're saying peacock curl or uh, hur- hurl hurl with an h okay um like if you look at the eye of a peacock, peacock feather do you mm-hmm. know what that looks like yeah um those it's the green feathers i think just surrounding the the eye got it um those are used to kind of mimic the thorax of a bug which we won't get into like the bug bug anatomy bug anatomy um but that's their most prominent use and again definitely get some of that in your box and then dubbing and dubbing is a um in the natural sense it's it's different types of fur like under fur mm-hmm. and, and guard hairs which are two different types of, of fur on an animal that you blend like often blend up in like a coffee grinder or you buy it manufactured and that's it's basically like you're kind of creating for lack of a better word like your own buggy yarn mm-hmm. and you put that stuff on the thread and it winds up to make like a um yeah like a hairy body yeah. essentially for this animal so I've seen you do this bug. in the past, and so what you're doing is like putting that dubbing between your f- fingers and your thumb and just rolling it around that thread, yes. and then it kind of gets stuck on the thread, and then you wind the thread with that dubbing That's around the a, hook. a good way right? to describe it, yep. It's, so you're making what people call like a dubbing noodle. So you take this this hair, this fur that's blended up, and yeah, you rub it between your thumb and pointer finger on the thread, and it like you just said, it wraps around the thread. It makes the thread thick and um, and hairy, like mm-hmm. with this hair. And that, then you, yes, you wind around the, the hook um, and build up the body, which then you will oftentimes overlay with other materials and kind of cover it up. And it, it creates like this, the foundation of a lot of these bugs. Mm-hmm. Like their, their, their main body system is often made out of dubbing. Um, and you can get, like I said, both natural and synthetic versions of that. Um, they sell them in these cool little boxes with a bunch of different colors and stuff, or you can make your own. I'm kind of getting into making some of my own with some different furs that I have lying around. Mm -hmm. Um, dubbing is really essential. Then you've got kind of a different natural material. We get into like bucktail. So this is like literally white tail tails. Mm -hmm. Those are really good for bigger, uh, flies like bass bugs and, um, anything like in the lake oftentimes muskies mm-hmm. you know you can make some really awesome musky flies with bucktail as you know yeah uh elk hair any of the sort of um ungulate hairs work um and then hackles are really like foundational material for tying trout flies and a hackle is the feathers on a chicken neck mm. like a rooster's neck yeah um, those are the really pretty 
feathers on a on a rooster neck, and those are made to tie dry flies, which we talked about on the uh, episode of with the brown trout and bridge beers guys. Dry flies are the ones that sit on top of the water, and the hackles, the way that you wind them around the hook, that allows that fly to float. It creates more surface area and um, helps it float. So those get expensive. Like one nice hackle could be like 60 bucks. Hmm. So, but it's kind of an investment where like you're only using one tiny little feather. You probably get a couple hundred feathers from it. So one um, of the things that's becoming more and more common these days is people owning chickens. mm -hmm. And we've done that in, in the past when they're, when it comes time to like do a little butchering is, uh, asking for some of the feathers yep my brother derek did that and he came home with just bags and bags yeah, i think, I got, I, think I got a bag of that once <laughs> yeah so make friends with uh with chicken owners yeah chicken what do you call somebody that owns a chicken farmer a chicken <laughs> chicken tender there you go I uh, like somebody that. that tends chickens <laughs> um or if you own them mm-hmm. and you've got some at your uh disposal give them to it's a quick way to make friends at fly tying nights at local breweries and stuff like that is yeah bring materials yeah i like that idea um and so basically a lot of uh a lot of the bird species have different varieties of feathers you could use i mean bird feathers are like a you know classic and awesome Mm -hmm. way to an awesome material to use um marabou is one of the feathers that you may hear that word, yeah. marabou. Those are real soft, sort of downy feathers that are used for. They have a really great action in the water. They come um, off a turkey. Yeah, marabou. Yeah, I think it's like the underside of mm-hmm. uh, of the wing, I believe. Um, so yeah, those are that's a good a little rundown of like a lot of the natural materials. Uh, then we got synthetic materials, and a lot of these are like. Well, it could be anything man-made, essentially. But yeah. a lot of the things you see in the fly tying shops are chenille, which is like, uh, it almost looks like um, pipe cleaner. Like, it's got a wire oh, with, like, buggy, yeah, yeah. like, interesting fuzz <laughs> all yeah. around it. Chenille uh, is used. Tinsel, um, a variety of different, like, small-gauge wires, like brass wire or mm. gold wire. And these things you use to sort of segment the body on a fly to make it look like a bug's body. Um, again, synthetic dubbing. Um, beads. Beads. I was just gonna, yep. The a lot of the heads of flies that you tie um, are weighted, and they use beads to do that. Or there's sp- special products like uh, eyes that look like eyes for like minnow type mm-hmm. uh, patterns. Um, variety of different weights, cones, these different things to put on the front of the fly. Uh, and then lead wrapping or lead free, uh, wrapping, which I would advocate for that. That's basically just helps the, you wrap the lead free product around the hook before you put any other materials on it. Uh, So it helps that go more friction. Well, it helps it. Yeah. It helps it go. Like if these would be flies that you're fishing, uh, sub below the water. I see. And so you want to put some lead on them because sometimes you're fishing in a hole that's 10 feet deep and your fly will never have a chance to get down I get toward it. the bottom of the uh, the stream without some of this uh, lead-free material. 
so yeah that's kind of a rundown i mean there's it's really like we talked about it's like you could use a lot of things whatever you yeah. can put on a hook with some thread um could be fly tying material um yeah the thing that that i've been thinking about a lot since you've been talking about materials and all these different types of feathers is going into a fly shop and looking at the wall and seeing just like shelves and shelves versus of different types of um hair and feathers and stuff and that is overwhelming to me yeah what are the ones that i need which i appreciate that you broke that down so i can you know not get so lost and yeah all the different colors and patterns and species of animals and stuff so and i think it's it's kind of like when you like um get into any hobby but like uh, you think about it like building out a workshop or something you're not going to go get all of the material and all of the tools on day one like that's not sustainable for most people yeah you're going to go get yourself a hammer when you you know to to hang a picture on the wall Mm -hmm. because that's what you have the need for and then you're going to go get a handsaw and then you're going to start yeah building things out materials is the best way to do that um i i would recommend finding you know whether it's on tightline videos or just doing some research on the most common flies for trout fishing classics there's you know you could easily find six pheasant tail uh parachute atoms like there's they have names Mm -hmm. you're gonna get a small list of those things and just say i want to tie i want to learn how to tie one i want to learn how to tie the woolly bugger that's most people's first fly Mm -hmm. um and then go get the material list and just go buy those things yeah and you're gonna get more than you need to tie let's say six flies or something and and start practicing there and Mm -hmm. then you're gonna get the hang of it and then you're gonna say well i want to tie something else and you just start slowly start to build out your materials and you're gonna become more more familiar with each and kind of master how to work with a pheasant tail and then Mm -hmm. how to work with dubbing and get into all the different materials i think that's the best way that i would approach it yeah yeah that's a good tip I think a lot of the times in using your metaphor of uh, increasing your tool arsenal, like in your workshop, a lot of the things that I have is because of projects I started. I didn't have the correct things. So then I, you know, I'm doing something like, I don't have a, I don't have a, a Forstner bit. Yep. And I need one for this project. Well, now I always have one. And I think that must be the similar thing with, with fly you know maybe you're like i'm going for different species therefore i need this other material and this other tool and now you've always got that yep so maybe you make six flies out of that material but you've got enough to make a hundred yeah i mean i the i bought i started getting into fly tying i think i probably bought like one fly i mean i got into it right away i was like oh this is fun i want to i want to do that too um, so I've tied most of my flies. I mean, I certainly go out and buy f- flies from time to time, especially when I'm traveling. But, um, oh, what was I just going to say about that? I just feel like, oh, yeah, I I still have the same, like, hackle that I bought right like in year one. Like, mm-hmm. I haven't even hardly put a dent in it. Yeah. So it's like a lot of these things, yes, you will have for a very long time. And especially when you start keeping things that you find and... Oh, like I met, I referenced, like you gave me some pheasant tails from a pheasant you shot one time. It's like, mm-hmm. well, it doesn't take long to get like one or two pheasants. You've got 
years of yeah fly tying material so it certainly does catch up and there's ways to kind of fall into material but like start small start with a couple flies that you know you're gonna fish and are tried and true and just get a couple things of thread maybe even one you know you can get into it real cheap yeah yeah um and just start to build out from there yeah see if you like it and like you say you don't have to make flies in order to fly fish no but I, th- I think you've you've successfully kind of proved your point that there's a lot of interesting factors that catching a fish on something that you made mm-hmm. brings that it brings to the table. So you, I mean, you've spent the time like pretty intimately, you know, looking at how you're winding the thread on the hook and how you're placing the feathers on there. It, it, it's pretty intimate, yeah. You know, relationship. I guess that you're like forming with that that little tiny fly, and then you put it on, and you maybe you get it snagged up in a tree, and that was something that I might do. Mm-hmm. But oh, I've done it and many beginners times. Beginners do all the time, many times. You know, which yep. which hurts a little bit because you spent all that time making those flies. But on the other side of that coin is how much pride you can take when you catch your first trout on a fly that you made it's got to be unbelievable yeah it's like i just probably overused i talk about this a lot it's like it's something like uh primitive it's like i took feathers from a thing Mm -hmm. put it on a hook and i caught a fish with it Mm -hmm. like it's there's something that's like it seems like a hat like a hack or something (laughs) like oh like whoa i was i was born to do this or like it it just feels like really natural and like uh, kind of a cool little power that you can do um, that I don't feel in a lot of other places. I would imagine it would be like, you know, building your own arrows and building your own longbow, like yeah, really anything. I mean, when you take the time to like turn some, make something out of nothing and then use that thing to, to do something better, mm-hmm. you, you make a hatchet, like a hatchet and cut down a tree or something like there's people always take pride and find worth in doing that and yeah because a lot of times value nowadays is like how much you get for the money that you spend and i what we've lost i think is value and like how what you get out of something that you've like provided to yourself Mm. that you've made and so instead of thinking like this cost me 50 bucks You'd be saying something like, "This cost me two hours of my time, and a lot, yeah. like, and a sore back or whatever it is." You know, there's. And what's cool about that value. is you always get you get an investment back from that that time. Like, I can go drop fifty bucks at a shop and buy a bunch of flies, and I that just is comes and goes. That doesn't mm-hmm. really mean much. But if I take the time to create fifty flies. I will also eventually lose those flies mm-hmm. in some capacity, but I I taught myself yeah a skill that like I'm not gonna forget. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it just goes with everything like that. It's a you're valuing yourself, a creative process, being more invested, being more involved, and that's what I I really like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's and in, in many ways it's an art. Mm-hmm. It's like a it's a artistic expression. 
You know, if you're making, I don't know, a woolly bugger, yours might look different than somebody else's because of how you interpret the materials that you're using. Everybody's stuff is just a little bit nuanced and different, which is really cool. And maybe in, you appreciate the things that you buy then at the store because you know oh, how yeah. it's made and you're like, wow, this is really impressive. And then you try to model your stuff after that or like take some different inspirations off of those things. So, yeah, you don't have to go buy, you know, all the flies that you need. But um, I think using them as inspiration and an appreciation for the craft that other people have kind of mastered is really cool too yeah there's certainly like an apprenticeship uh feeling to getting started it's like there are certain flies that you know like i recommended like maybe start with those flies um and yeah it's just like you got to learn how to do it and it takes a lot of time and a lot of practice to get it right and they look like junk like my first i'll, I'll probably post a couple pictures here on on instagram of yeah. my first flies i ever tied and they are you know bad but you get better yeah. and it takes time to learn the basics and then you can start to kind of be creative and get and branch out and do different things and pull inspiration from certain things. So yeah, be patient with it. Know that it's going to be hard. Your fingers are going to feel clunky. They're going to feel too big and the hooks are going to feel too small. And, but just like everything with, you know, with practice and repetition, you'll get better. Yeah. Um, and I just think that like, it's just a way we've talked about it before, but it's a way to extend the season, um, which is the main, that's maybe not the main reason why I like to do it, but certainly is a huge role, like to make me love fly fishing even more because now I can think about it and, and sort of participate in fly fishing all year round. Mm -hmm. Um, even when the season's closed, like I said, I can open up my fly box and kind of reorganize things. Um, maybe throw out the ones that were all tattered and beat up from last season mm-hmm. um, and start tying new things and start thinking about what's going to catch fish. Um, what are my goals for the next year? How do I want to like change things up? Yeah. Just be thinking about it more. Mm-hmm. Um, not on like shooting our bows in the off season where you're, 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 you're thinking about the season Yeah. when you're not in it. That's, that's what I really love about a tying. So, yeah. And if any of our listeners are, I know that uh, a lot of you have probably got experience with tying flies and stuff. And like I said before, it's cool to get inspired by the work of others. So post that stuff on, on Instagram and tag us in it and, or send us a message with some pictures of some stuff that you've made. Um, I've had some students, in the past, like actually gift me flies and oh, cool. you know, things like that, where I, I really appreciate the different styles and the different, um, skills that people have and the different like intention with it. Like this is going to be, I'm using this for maybe I'm, I actually am not, I'm just tying this cause I'm going to ice fish with it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's different applications and all different types of colors and styles and, Techniques. Some of them are just decorative. There's an industry of people that just tie flies because they're beautiful. Yeah. Like the old traditional salmon flies and stuff. Those are just like gorgeous. And, you know, people may choose to fish them or not, but it's a cool art form. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Maybe I'll post one on there. I've never tied a fly before. We're going to do that. We're going to make you tie one. Do a first time (laughs) 
Mike's first fly first tie. trout fly you yeah, you, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you tie with similar materials like we're talking about and yeah. you've you've certainly made a lot of musky baits yeah. with similar things but the difference is that I just burned through all my material so fast yeah you know I, I've made bucktails out of pheasant tails but I probably only use the top like four inches of it because that's the only part that's soft enough yep so I'll blow through like 30 yeah <laughs> 30 pheasant tails for one you know or like half of a bucktail yep to make a musky bucktail as they call it. it's like literally a full tail on i remember a bucktail remember years ago when you came over you brought some musky stuff to tie up musky baits and i was tying flies and i think i made out of one piece of what what was it um it was like a piece of flashaboo or something yeah yeah like that's that. exactly it some like a real flashy plasticky type material um you were using bundles of them and i grabbed one thread <laughs> yeah. and i made like numerous flies out of it yeah. um so it was we were, like a piece that i had trimmed off yeah we were just laughing <laughs> at like the the difference so yeah yeah um anyway that's fun stuff so i think i i think that's probably it for sort of a high level rundown on fly tying um as i said definitely poke around on the internet um for some for some other resources I'll post some links to some of my favorite, um, you know, videos and, and resources. Um, as I said, Tightline video on YouTube is the is probably my best. Uh, give a shout out to Matt Ebers um, from the Brown Trout and Bridge Beers guys. He's an awesome tire, and his Instagram is fantastic. You're going to learn a lot from his Instagram um, if you check it out. It is Ebsforce, E-B-B-S. F O R C E one. Um, he's always posting really awesome things. So, uh, shout out to Matt as well. Yeah. And you can also reach out to us with any questions too. If there's something that we, we mentioned and we didn't give like the definition of, or, um, you're still curious about things. Let us know. Yeah. I, you know, for instance, if I was going to send a message to us, it would be, I'm still really unclear about what the difference between a dry fly and a nymph. And... I, we we got to hit that now. Yeah, we so... got to handle it now. Nymphs are underwater, right? They're going to be fishing them. Anything you fish underwater, this is we're going to talk in generalizations here, broad generalizations, but trout often sort of sit just below the the, the ground, I guess. How would you phrase that? At the bottom of the stream, they're like right at the bottom of the stream. Yeah, oftentimes. Yeah, clearly they they're up feeding and they they can be in different parts of the water column, but they tend to stay protected down near the bottom. So, uh, and that's where the bugs are too. That's where the nymphs are and mm-hmm. uh, the emergers and different you know aquatic insects that they're eating. So nymphs, um, you're going to be fishing underwater, trying to get it kind of in front of the trout. Dry flies. They stay dry because they are on the surface of the water. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't stay; they get wet, but um, they don't. They're not fully submerged. Yeah. So that's the difference. Okay. And um, a streamer is like a fish mimicking, yeah, you know, mimicking or just bait. I in think general, of, I think mimicking. of like meat. They're more meaty, right? Okay. They're, they're yeah. like they don't have to have a big bulky profile, but they're typically a little bigger, longer. Um, yeah, typically are mimicking like a bait fish or. Uh, sculpin or these different these different or things like a leech or something leeches yeah. exactly yep. okay yep i got gotcha. you 
there's there's more to talk about and yeah. we'll, we'll go down we'll keep we'll keep dishing out those things um over the next you know episodes here i'm sure we'll talk a lot more about fishing as the summer rolls on but yeah. um you know don't get intimidated by needing to know all of the things you don't need to know all of the sizes of hooks and thread mm-hmm. and all of the materials and um, you know, who does what in the fly fishing industry and how to catch all the fish and blah, blah, blah. It's like, just cue in on a couple of the main, the main points, find a couple flies, Mm -hmm. start to try to fish them with, you know, one rod and try to catch yourself a fish. Yeah. And don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah. You'll get there. You'll, you'll start to realize what you need to know and what you don't need to know. Um, I, that took me probably three years of sort of feeling overwhelmed and trying to learn as much as I could. And then I just realized like I had started catching fish and I got to a point where it's like, Oh, like I can really simplify this and catch yeah. fish most days. Like sometimes they're not going to, they're not biting and it's really hard and it's mm-hmm. a struggle and you're going to maybe go home empty handed, maybe just struggle to catch that one fish. But sometimes like the light switch is on and you're catching fish mm-hmm. and it's like, we can make this a lot simpler. Um, so don't get overwhelmed by it. Just get out and have fun and see what you can find. And if yeah. you can't get out, stay at home and tie some flies. That's right. Take care, guys.